with the flow. Hey, those on the peripheries, move on in, move on in. I'm going to speak from here in a moment, so you need to be able to, well, you don't have to be able to see me. You might want to be able to see me. So if you need to change sheet, do, seat, then do right now. Before I get started uh, on the message, I've got someone very special to introduce you to um, tonight. Now, as you know, we are a church for all people of all ages. If you haven't yet been to our morning service, we've got an 8 a.m. Holy Communion service, you're welcome there, or the 10.30 a.m. family service where we have a lot of kids. And in order to reach out to the families and the kids in the neighborhood, we thought, well, what might work? What might be something that can help attract children in that they think that, that kind of looks fun? Uh, I want to go along there to the church and see what that's all about. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I would like to introduce you to our newest member of St. Dionys Church, Dino the Dionysaur. Dino the Dionysaur. Yeah. Yes, do your dance thing, Dino. Dino does his reggae dance. So, guys, this is Dino, very flexible. Very kid-friendly. It's for people of all ages. Give him a spin. Easy, Dina. Um, give him a spin. Look at his tail. He's got scales and everything. And he's a dinosaur. And he's fresh from China. And it's great to have him. So if you want to see more of Dino the dinosaur, then come and join us in the morning. Get involved in the kids' teams. He's going to be helping with action songs, aren't you, Dino? You got your actions? Do some star jumps and stuff. Yeah, that's it. All right, Dino, thank you. And good night. Give it up for Dino! <laughs> so that is Dino. The Dionysaur. Not dinosaur. Dionysaur. We're just, we're just hitting that just creation, evolution <laughs> argument head on. And we're just going to see, see where it takes us. I don't think, seriously though, I don't think we can any longer deny that dinosaurs did exist. So just if you're out there, that's, that's our line at, at St. D's. So anyway, Dino, come and see him in the morning next week. <laughs> He's a dinosaur. Cool, guys. Um, you know, I um, became a Christian when I was 18 years old. And... Uh, I hadn't especially <laughs> grown up in a Christian home. My father would love to differ. But other than going to school chapel every day, uh, church wasn't massively on the radar for us other than at Easter or, or Christmas. I'm sure you'd agree, Dad. Um, but I, so I didn't really think much of Christianity. I didn't know much about it. But my journey in terms of asking questions began, I, I guess, when I was 17, 18 in my last year at school. You've probably passed through it yourselves or, you know, have friends who have. Just asking the big questions about life. What are we doing here? Where do we come from? What happens when we die? Is there a God? How, how does he see us? And I began this sort of journey. It wasn't prompted by anyone necessarily around me or even going to church or Christian Union. It, it just came from within. And I now know it was the Holy Spirit beginning a journey with me of uh, seeking God because God was seeking me. But I was asking the big questions. And a friend of mine, one of my best friends, was um, a strong Christian, so I'd just quiz him and I'd grill him, and uh, he'd give me, you know, his best answers. He began taking me to church in London uh, a couple of times. He'd take me to Christian Union. Bit by bit, the more I heard the Bible explained, the more that I realized, my gosh, there's something in this Christianity thing. Every time I heard a talk from the Bible, it was as if it was speaking directly to me. 
I don't know if you've had that experience before. But um, as this journey continued, I thought, there's something here, you know, and I want to find it for myself. And it came to the Easter holidays my last year at school, so A-level term coming up. And this great friend of mine, Dave, uh, invited me to this camp, this Christian camp called the Stewards Trust, which uh, some of you uh, work for, have worked for. Uh, many of you might have been on their holidays. They do amazing uh, camps for Christians or people looking into Christianity during the holidays. Great organization. And he invited me on this camp. And I was like, what? Christian camp? I was like, well, I don't have much else on other than revision. So I thought, yeah, let's, let's give it a go. So I went away to um, this school called Down House, which is a, a girls' school uh, in the Easter holidays. Uh, sadly, none of the girls were around. It was empty, although there were uh, a lot of girls on the camp because it was a Christian camp, and there were teenage girls, boys, all mixing in and uh, just staying there. That's where they, let's move on from that particular bit. <laughs> but we went on this camp, and... It was there that I just saw something of the Christian community. Uh, about 100 teenagers and then about 30, 40 team, just people serving those teenagers, reaching out to them. And I just saw something in these Christians that I just knew I didn't have in myself. I saw a life, what I now know is the life of the Holy Spirit, within these guys that I thought, you know, I would call myself a Christian. I understand it with my head, but I knew I didn't have in my heart what they had going on. And we heard talks on Christianity, on the Bible, on you know, apologetic streams. There was lots of stuff going on. So I was getting a lot of input, and I understood stuff. But I knew it wasn't there. And on the third night there, I heard a talk on the resurrection and just the evidence for the resurrection. It was just a very clinical sort of step-by-step, -step, you know, where was the body? Because history records an empty tomb. Jesus' body has never been found. Where was the body? And it looked at all the other arguments to suggest where the body of Jesus Christ went. And one by one, this, this speaker, who's, uh, who's a pal of mine, he's also a vicar up in um, the north, uh, in Newcastle, and uh, one by one, he took down the other arguments and showed how they couldn't be true rationally, using logic, using reason, to show that actually Jesus Christ did, in fact, come back from the dead. That is the most logical solution to why the church exists at all, to why people claim to have an experience of a relationship with God and Jesus. And as he was speaking, it was like the penny was dropping in my mind and in my, uh, in my head, my understanding. And I just realized for the first time, oh my goodness, Jesus is alive. This is all happening. This is all real. These guys are all gathered here because he's still alive. That's what it's all about. And if he's alive, then I can know him. I can know him for myself. And I was just buzzing after this meeting. It was like an evening meeting. It finished about 9.30. And I was just buzzing. I just couldn't wait, actually, to get... I don't know why I chose this. I couldn't wait to get back to my room that night. I couldn't wait to be alone and just reach out, seemingly to the void, to the heavens, and say, God, if you're there, come into my life. Because I just knew he's real. And so I went back to my room later that night, and uh, I read a bit of the Bible in bed. It was about midnight. And then I just chose to go for it. And uh, I closed my Bible, and I just said a prayer, seemingly to the ceiling, just because I, I hadn't met, I didn't know. I said, God, I don't know you yet, but I believe you're real. And I want to know you. I want you to come 
into my life. I want to give you all that I have, all that I trust in, all that I put my identity in. And there was some stuff that I was clinging on to. You know, I, I wasn't a particularly Christian guy before becoming a Christian. And there was some stuff I put my security in. And that night, I just said, God, do you know what? If you're there, if you're real, to get you, I'm willing to give all of that stuff up. All of that stuff, you can have it all. If I find you. And I just felt like totally vulnerable, totally exposed. I don't know if you've ever done that game where you, you know, team training, whatever, they, they get you to hold your arms out and you've got to fall backwards and trust that the guy or girl is going to catch you. Have you ever done that somewhere? It felt like I was doing that spiritually. I just felt like I am in free fall now. Like, God, here, here I am, Palatin. If you want me, catch me. <laughs> and I was like, if he doesn't catch me, then I'm free falling forever because I don't know how else to offer more of my heart but you know what the thing is that night God caught me the Holy Spirit filled me and I was just overwhelmed in in this bed somewhere in downhouse school at midnight I was filled with the Spirit of God and it was as if liquid just love waves of love electricity filled my heart and filled me with, with hope, with life, with love, with joy, with peace. All the good stuff that Hugh was talking about, walking with the Spirit, all the stuff that we long for that actually every human being wants. I'd found it. It was there. I was filled. And I was so excited. I knew I'd become a Christian. I'd met Jesus Christ. Life was never going to be the same again. And I was on cloud nine. But you know... 30 seconds later, something happened that has shaped my life ever since and my ministry ever since. Because 30 seconds later, it was as if the devil himself descended into my bedroom and plonked himself at the end of my bed. And the atmosphere in that room just changed. And everything seemed to drain, seep out of my feet. Well, I was lying out of, out of my back. You know what I mean everything changed and, and fear gripped me. Doubt came upon me. Question, God, just everything left and I was just aware of this, this presence. I couldn't see anything but I could sense the tangible presence of evil in that room. And I began thinking, what the heck? You know, crying out, God, I've only just met you. What the heck is going on? <laughs> You know, I was on cloud nine and now this. And I'm just sitting there just cowering, looking at the sort of space. Like, what is this? You know, I really needed to go to the loo. There's not a chance of that happening. You know, the lights are off in the corridor. It's like, you ain't going anywhere, Pat. You know, <laughs> this light is staying on firmly. I was gripped with fear. I was intimidated. But I knew enough to know this was spiritual. What was going on was spiritual and it was real. And I prayed. I was like, God, just get rid of this. Send it away. Come, give me your presence. I want to know you again. I want to be back on the cloud. Let me back on the cloud. It didn't seem to work. And then I just, I didn't know what to do. I, I grabbed my Bible. I was flicking through. I had some Bible notes. And I knew enough to know that there was warfare. There was the devil, you know. And so I was like trying to find in my Bible notes and Bible, like something about the devil, something about Christians having victory over evil, you know, anything. I couldn't find anything. So when I'd ran out of things to do, I just, I just called on God. I was like, God, you've got you to give me something here. You've got to show me something in the Bible 
that speaks of you being stronger than this power that's at work and present in this room. And you know, as I prayed that, as I shut my eyes, it was as if I saw just the pages of the Bible whipping past and I could see names of the books of the Bible just blowing in the wind. Old Testament, you know, then into the New, then into the letters. And then I saw the word Ephesians. I was like, yes, that's in the Bible. <laughs> and under the word Ephesians, I saw the number 10. And then the number 11. Underneath it, 10, 11. And I was like, get in, God. Ephesians chapter 10, verse 11. <laughs> so I was straight into Galatians. I was through that. I was into Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, 5, 6. Philippians. What? <laughs> Philipp uh, there is no chapter 10. And I was stuck on this, this page. And I was like, oh. I chose to look down anyway and just start reading something. And my eyes fell on this passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I started to read this, these words. And I just realized, I just knew I'd hit the jackpot that the Lord had given me just what I needed. And as I, as I read this, which I'm going to continue to in a moment, that faith that had seemed to seep away filled me again. That hope came back, that life. The cloud was in view. I was suddenly back on it. This presence just dissipated, thinned, and then was gone. As I read these words, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. And I got to the end of that passage and everything was right as rain. I knew God's presence. That evil had left. And you know, something prompted me to just see, well, what is this first? Where have I started reading? And as I took the Bible, you see this Bible's got two columns. You see that? Actually, get your Bibles open. Chapter 6, page 1112, 1112. Our Bibles here, they've got two columns, a lot of them do, but the Bible I was borrowing back then had just a line that went across the page, so the whole page was just one line, no columns. And I looked in the margin where I'd started to read. I was like, w where are we? And in the margin opposite the verse where I'd started to read was the number 10, verse 10. But you know, that verse is really short. 
And so the next verse begins even before it ends. So right below that 10 in the margin was the number 11. Just as I'd seen it in my mind's eye. I mean, the Lord even knew what version of the Bible I was using in my bedroom that night. And he gave me a picture of what it looked like in the margin. And I just thought, wow, what an awesome God. Giving us just what we need at just the right time. And the reason I share that story is because that's what we're, we're looking at tonight. As we sort of come into land with our series in Ephesians this term, Paul ends this letter with a vision of the spiritual realms and the spiritual battle that we're in. And Tim brilliantly opened that up and set up that vision of the two realms, the two worlds, if you like, that we live in, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And Paul ends his letter in Ephesians with a picture of the battle we're in. And I don't know about you, I don't know how you see the Christian life, I don't know how you primarily understand your walk through this world, whether you understand it as sort of home. There are so many images in the Bible, whether you understand it as family, God's daughter, God's son. So many different ways to understand it, but here Paul speaks of, and my first experience of being a Christian was that the Christian life is about being in a battle. We are in a fight. And I'm grateful, so grateful for the Lord opening my eyes to that within the first minute of meeting him and being a Christian. It was almost as if he's like, welcome Pat, you know, get involved. We're in a fight. And Paul wants us to realize that. And he wants us to get our mindset straight because it is real as hard as it is to believe. You know, I studied theology. I went from meeting the Lord, did my A-levels, went on a year off, um, did a missionary school. Then I went up to Edinburgh and I studied theology. And one of the theologians I studied was a guy called Rudolf Bultmann. And these guys are the brain, you know, they're the big dogs, theologians. And he wrote this. He said, it is impossible to use electric light and the wireless and to avail ourselves of modern medical and surgical discoveries and at the same time to believe in the New Testament world of spirits and miracles. And there I was, a new Christian, you know, barely had any theological reading under my belt, and I found myself having to say, I'm sorry, Rudolph, but I beg to differ. That is, that is terrible theology, my man. You are not helping anyone with that nonsense. We are in a battle. And just because we live in the 20th century for Rudolph, 21st century for us, it doesn't make it any less real. The devil and his forces are real. An invisible realm in which they operate. And I love that quote from um, The Usual Suspects. You've probably come across it before. That says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he didn't exist. That's his greatest trick. So there's Bultman on one hand saying, we're too modern, we can't believe in spirits and you know, angels and demons. But then there's William Peter Blatty who wrote and produced The Exorcist, you know, that great horror film from a few years ago. And he said this, as far as God goes, I'm a non-believer. But when it comes to the devil, well that's something else. The devil keeps advertising. The devil does lots of commercials. 
We are in a battle, guys, a spiritual battle that rages all around us. And tonight God wants to open our eyes, make us wise to that fact. And we can't go around pretending it's not there, ignoring it, or just choosing somehow to, to not believe in it. Because to ignore it, pretend it's not there, not believe it, it doesn't mean that you avoid it. It probably just means that you're not winning in it. That you're probably getting your butt kicked. And I put my hand up and say, there are time, innumerable times, time and again, I get a whooping from the enemy. You know, I let him in. And I don't stand on the ground that the Lord has given me. I don't take hold of what Jesus has won for me on the cross and walk in that victory. So the devil just comes in and has a field day and he clobbers me. And perhaps you're in that place tonight. Perhaps you're in a tough time. You know, it speaks of, you know, taking our stand when the day of evil comes. What is the day of evil? Well, we live in evil days. Until the Lord returns, every day is in a sense evil. But there are days, there are moments and you'll know them for each one of us, where evil seems to be more present, more real. The battle seems to be more fierce than it usually is. I mean, that's on a personal scale, that's on a national scale. You think of Iraq, you think of the persecution of those Christians in those cities. That is a day of evil. Cities of thousands of believers going to just hundreds with death, persecution. The day of evil is real. We can't pretend it's not there. The wiser we are to it, the more chance we've got of taking our stand. And the devil is real. You know, Peter writes about him saying, our enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is real. He's personal as well. He's not just a, a sort of force. He's, he's not... A spirit. He can't be in all places at the same time. He is personal. He has names. Jesus refers to him as the prince of this world, the god of this world. The Bible speaks of him as the prince of the power of the air, the great dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan, the accuser. He's personal. He is powerful. Who is the devil? Well, the Bible tells us that he, he was, once upon a time, chief some even believe chief of the archangels. You know, we've got Michael, Gabriel, well, Lucifer. That's who the devil is. God created those three, those three archangels. And many believe that Lucifer, the devil, was the chief, like the high sheriff of the Lord's hosts until he got proud, until he was thrown out. He was anointed. He has and he was thrown down and now he's the ruler of the air and he's at work to frustrate the plans of God and to come against the people of God you and I and together with the systems of this world together with the forces at work in ourselves within our flesh that's what the Bible calls you know the desires in us that, that just aren't godly let's be honest you know we've, we've got them you know the temptations the stuff we want to do but we know God probably wouldn't appreciate that. That's what our flesh is. And the combination of the world, the flesh, and the devil wars against our souls. 
and Lucifer, the devil, operates his system of fallen angels, countless thousands, millions, a third of the angels fell from heaven, and he is the boss of them, and he operates them to get his system working as he wants it to come against us. And this, this is by way of context, to know the battle is real, our enemy is real. Let's wisen up, because what we're looking at tonight is how can we take our stand, given this reality? How can we stand in victory, in the freedom, little weak human beings that we are? How can we take our stand when the day of evil comes? And Paul gives us those answers with these pieces of armor that I'm about to describe. So Paul, when he wrote this book, Ephesians, he was in prison. I mean, he was chained to a guard. He may well have been chained to a Roman centurion. So day in, day out, his most visible illustration was a soldier. Imagine that, a Roman centurion decked out in all of his gear. So what, what Paul seeks to do is use that to bring alive the spiritual realm, the spiritual battle we're in, and how we take our stand. So he uses the different elements of that armor. And he picks on six items and then talks about prayer. Six items that we need to be strong. Just look down at that, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. You know, if there's one thing we need today more than ever in the UK, it's to be strong, isn't it? To be a strong church, to take our stand with everything that's going on, the debates that are raging over all kinds of issues, where the church needs to stand its ground, to be strong. So often we are weak at the wrong moments, but Paul, God, is saying, be strong. Be strong how? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If you take away one thing from tonight, take that away. It's not your strength. It's not my strength that we rely on. It's the Lord's strength. It's he who's strong. It's he who can overcome. It's he who gives us strength to stand. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he goes on to describe this armor. And he says, take it up. The NIV here uses the language, put on the full armor. But other translations say, take up the full armor. And Paul's injunction to us is to take, not make, the armor. That's the difference. We are not relying on ourselves. It's not up to us to produce the armor with which to fight back. Paul calls us to take it, not make it. Why? Because it is God's armor, not ours. It's God's armor in the first place. And that's what we're going to look at, to see how we can take our stand on that day of evil. We're just going to go through those things one by one. Because the first thing Paul tells us to put on, to take up and to put on, is the belt of truth. You know, a Roman soldier, just cast your mind back primary school or when you were younger and you last seen a Roman centurion, cast your mind back to Gladiator. You know that scene? Gladiator, the beginning, fighting the German hordes. You know, they're in the forest. We like this, don't we, guys? You know, just like, and they begin marching forward. Just picture them in their gear. They had a belt around their waist because they wore this funny tunics. They were quite Scottish, weren't they? You know, with all this hanging garb. And they wore a belt. 
And basically, when they went into battle, they needed to tighten that belt, and they needed to hitch up their sort of skirting. Why were they wearing it? But all of that stuff to get ready to charge into battle. Otherwise, everything was hanging loose. Everything threatened to, to get tangled up. The skirt. Skirting. Naughty. Resist temptation. The uh, skirting was gathered up, allowing them to charge into battle, allowing them to fight. And it's the belt that holds it all together. It's the belt of truth. And that's what truth does for us. When we know the truth, when we walk in truth, Jesus said, it is the truth that sets you free. You will know it. And it will set you free. It will set you free to run. It will set you free to fight. It will set you free to take your stand. It operates like a belt that holds the rest of the pieces in place. That is what the belt of truth does. It allows us to stand firm. And that truth is God's word. And God here is saying, be people, men and women, of the word. If you want to take your stand against all the devil throws at you, and he is coming at you whether you like it or not, if you're going to be able to take your stand, you need to put on the belt of truth. You need to know the truth. You need to know this book. You know, there are no great saints from history who haven't known this book inside out. You know, it's said of Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer, that he memorized the entire Bible. I only found that out today. I mean, that is just ridiculous. The entire Bible. Or John Wesley, who transformed this nation in the 17th century with the Methodist movement. He had committed most of the New Testament to memory. He knew the Bible. He knew the truth. He put on that belt every day. And with all the debates that rage, <laughs> that Christianity has to face, all the attacks... If we're not to get tangled up, you know, if the soldiers would run and they hadn't done their belt, they'd get tangled, you know, they're getting a complete knot. If you are, haven't got the belt of truth on, if you're not familiar with the truth, then we can get lost. We just don't know whether we're coming or going. We get in a tangle in our mind. And society, you know, with all of its different arguments, comes against our faith to confuse us. But if you know the truth, it will set you free. It will allow you to run. It will allow you to take your stand. The second piece of armor that Paul speaks of is the breastplate of righteousness. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. It's the second piece of armor a Roman soldier would wear. Just that metal sculpted thing that protected the vital organs especially the heart because fighting back then as we remember from gladiator was hand to hand it was in in one another's face you know that guy with the big fur coming on coming at you i mean i'd be grateful for my for my breastplate of metal because there's a short swords coming out and that protects your heart and this is what paul is saying it is righteousness that protects your heart from the assault of the enemy. It is a right standing before God that will protect you against the, an the enemy's accusations. You know, that's one of the names for the enemy. Satan, it means accuser. He is up there. He is slandering us before God day and night saying, did you see what Pat did? Did you see what he said? Do you see what's in his heart? And, you know, God's getting a hard time, but he's saying, yes, yes, I know. 
But my son has paid for it. My son has covered that. His blood has paid the price. Pat is righteous in my sight. And that breastplate of righteousness that is a gift from God, that is given to us, that we clothe ourselves in, that is what protects our hearts when the enemy comes at us. And that righteousness carries the sense of a good conscience. It's one of the greatest blessings, you know, understated blessings of being a Christian, isn't it? That we just know, oh, peace with God. We know that peace. We know that we have right standing. We know that guilt and condemnation has been put aside. But you know, even though it's a gift and totally in God's sight that today he sees each one of us cleansed, free, forgiven, righteous, he still calls us to walk in it. So there's a difference between the outward, extrinsic righteousness. Theologians call it imputed righteousness that's been given to us by Christ. There's a difference between that and our intrinsic righteousness that God calls us to walk in, our sanctification. That's the difference between justification and sanctification. In God's sight, we are justified. We are holy. We are righteous. But the process of sanctification takes time and God wants us to walk it out. He wants us to walk in righteousness. Because we can help ourselves here. You know, we could go out into the world and we could sin all we like, as much as we like, and just say, sorry, Lord, thanks. Thanks for Jesus. And he could cover it. But that's not going to stop the enemy coming at us day and night, making us feel guilty. Do you know what I mean? Condemning us with the memories of what we did. If I left here tonight and I went to the pub, which I will after this service, with all of you, hopefully, uh, and I have a pint, and then maybe I have a couple more, and if I overdo it, and I get Larry, and whatever, I get in a fight with one of the locals. Come on! That's what I used to be like before I was a Christian. Um, but, so I like the fighting image, you know, that we're in a battle. But imagine, like, the associate vicar of St. Dinah's Church, you know, front headline, Parsons Green News, you know, caught in brawl outside on green. If I get in a, you know, I'll be forgiven in God's sight. I might be sacked by Tim, but I, I will be forgiven... But in my own life, I will have that burden to carry. I will always have done that. The enemy.